is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Welcome to the Monday special edition of Fantasy Football Today. I'm Adam Azer. Hope you all had a, uh, a great Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the Sunday night show. If you haven't heard it, please go back and listen. We did all the fantasy analysis. But today we have our trio of guests. We have Dr. David Chow at Pro Football Doc on Twitter. We have Will Brinson and we have Chris Towers. The injuries are so big. We're going to lead with Dr. Chow today. Hey, good afternoon, doctor. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm doing all right. I mean, I feel bad for the uh, the the Steelers. Uh, you know, the the guys who have Juju Smith-Schuster and Ben Roethlisberger and uh, the Michael Thomas, Drew Brees owners and all that. But you know, we know Roethlisberger's out for the season. And I was watching some baseball the other day, and I saw a pitcher on the Blue Jays tear his UCL. You know, while pitching, and it was really sad. He went down. And then when I saw Roethlisberger on Sunday, I have no idea. We don't know what the injury is, right? As of now. Well, uh, they say he needs surgery and his season is done. And yesterday, right. even in game, I said the worry is for that dreaded ulnar collateral ligament, the way he was acting, and especially with the information that it was hurting him before Sunday. Uh, it sort of put the uh, uh, picture all together. Yeah, and that's what it reminded me of, a pitcher sort of going down and it just it felt bad. So he is out for the year. Obviously, we know seasonal you know, redraft leagues, you cut him, but... For the Ben Roethlisberger dynasty owners, do you think this is... I, I know you don't know that much. I don't want to put you on the spot, but what do you think the long-term outlook is right now if you have any information about Roethlisberger? Well, the long-term outlet is he's done for the year, period, and a discussion, and will have no chance of coming back. Uh, in terms of for next season, there is reason to believe that he could be ready uh, for next season, but there is no guarantee that he will be ready for next season uh, without getting too technical. In some ways, throwing a football is easier than throwing a baseball. And in some ways it's harder. And I'll give you a quick explanation. Obviously we have, have, we have one big example of Jake Delhomme tearing his ulnar collateral ligament and having surgery in 2007. And really none that I know of in between, at least not at this uh, NFL level. But even from 2017 to now, we've got dozens of examples of Major League Baseball pitchers. Uh, the torque is different on your elbow. What makes pitching harder is that you're pitching from a mound, so you're kind of going downhill. And most pitches are closer to 90 95% effort, whereas football is easier because you're not making max velocity throws the majority of the time. There's a lot more touch passing. What makes football harder to recover from an ulnar collateral ligament is that it's not static. Pitching, the mound is static. It's not moving. You have your feet set under you, et cetera, and no one's running at you. For football, obviously, your feet aren't set. You can't always step into throws. You have to change your arm angle. Even halfway through a throw as a safety or a DB jumps the route, you sort of change where you put the ball, and that puts extra pressure. So that's what Big Ben is going to need to negotiate and uh, remains to be seen right now if he'll make it right at the beginning of the season. What do you think about the Drew Brees diagnosis? Do you think six weeks is a realistic timeline for him? I do. That's what I posted yesterday. In some ways, surgery is 
in his good news. I understand that Sean Payton has now said it's not final and the whole deal, but I, I think it is fate to complete that he's going to have surgery because it actually cuts his timeline. Without surgery, it could easily go 12 weeks or longer and sometimes in a cast. With surgery, the over-under is about six weeks and it's realistic. My guess is the Saints will manage their roster spots and keep them uh, off of injured reserve in case he can come back, you know, earlier than the, than missing eight games, which I think he has a reasonable chance of that injury is fairly reliable and predictable how it will do and the recovery, uh, you know, and six weeks is a good timeline. That's fast timeline, but this is the NFL. This is Drew Brees. This is the Saints good medical staff. So I think that's what everyone is probably going to target. And you think he comes back and he's Drew Brees? Well, I mean, I think some could argue that Drew Brees, like everyone, is human and maybe getting a little bit older. But <laughs> beyond that, uh, he still should. This is a minor deal. The recovery from this type of ligament surgery in the thumb is very, very. I don't want to say routine, like it's easy, but it's it's it usually follows pattern. There's few things to complicate it, and therefore. Uh, I think he will be fine. I mean, if I, you know, I'm not a fantasy expert as we discussed, but uh, if you can, if you think Drew Brees is, is valuable and you already have him on your team and you can find a way to keep him uh, and play with your roster, I think he's going to come back and be fine later on this season. All right, Dr. Chow, let's talk about uh, some running backs here. James Connor reportedly does not have a serious knee injury and LaShawn McCoy is going to get an MRI on his ankle. Um, what do you think about these two guys, Connor and McCoy? Well, on, on James Connor, the injury to is to his left knee, which is not the previous MCL and surgery knee that he had. It looked like a hyperextension injury. By video, there's no major structural damage. So this isn't going to be a long-term thing. But uh, on MRI, the worry is, is there a bone bruise? If there is, there could be a week or two, no more than four weeks that he might miss. But it won't be long-term. So a little bit to be determined. At this point, I think he's probably uh, in the two- to three-week range. As far as LaShawn McCoy, I tried to go look at video. I probably have to wait for the All-22 to get different angles. He was just in a pile, and you couldn't even see what, what was happening to his ankle on the play on his last carry of the game. So that's a little harder for me to say where he's at and what he has, so we'll have to follow along in the news. You can tell me if this is a stupid question. I have no. I ask stupid questions all the time, and I get called out on it, so it's fine. Um, what exactly is a bone bruise? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want a stupid answer or a real answer? No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> There are different types of bone bruises. Uh, think about it this way. There is the bone bruise that, let's say, you hit your tibia or shin, and it's just really painful. You just hit the side of the bone, and it's really painful. And there are bone bruises that involve the surface or just beneath the, beneath the surface of the knee joint. So direct blows cause contusions, bone bruises that are just essentially a pain tolerance thing. But indirect blows when knees or a joint are jammed together, uh, that's something you want to wait to heal. It's almost like uh, an elephant stomping on the grass. 
the grass being the articular cartilage, the bone underneath being like the dirt. When an elephant stomps on the grass and you continue to play football on the grass, that grass might die out. So there's sort of a temporary keep off the grass sign to let the grass recover. In this case, it's the articular cartilage surfaces. So if it's a bone bruise from the joint being jammed together, that is a bigger deal than if it's from a direct blow type bruise. Mm. Okay, sounds painful. That's all I know. Um, all right, probably so, more than you asked for there. Yeah, no, I, mean, I don't, <laughs> now I've got to think about elephants stomping on me. Um, it was a painful night for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Alshon Jeffrey, a calf injury. Deshaun Jackson, a groin injury. So rough uh, Sunday night football for them. Any info on Jackson and Alshon? Yeah, and, and you can throw Dallas Goddard into sure. the mix, right? He re aggravated it seems like, that calf injury from week one preseason. All three of them were questionable and did not return. They seemed to me to be just emergency players. And that was probably smart because you don't want to turn a muscle injury, an early season muscle injury that's, that lingers. So uh, don't have any uh, detailed information on them. But given that a calf injury can linger, and for Deshaun Jackson, a speedster and cutting, the groin is very important. I would expect a short absence for these guys. Uh, this week coming up, uh, uh, if if I were a betting man, I'd say at least two out of the three don't play. Oh, okay. If not, if if not three out of three. Uh, they have Detroit this week. That'll be an interesting game. Okay, yeah, and obviously Wentz, uh, boy, Nelson Aguilar is going to be a hot topic on the waiver wire show tomorrow. Despite dropping what probably would have been the game-tying touchdown, he ended up with eight catches, 107 yards, and a touchdown. And just wondering if you had a chance to watch Joe Mixon. Uh, and I, I wonder how much the ankle affected him, but it is two straight terrible games for Joe Mixon so far. He had 11 carries for 17 yards. Uh, for the season, he has 17 carries for 27 yards. It's not the Joe Nix Mixon that we know and love um, with Buffalo on the road coming up. Uh, yeah, I don't know if, if what do you think about Mixon and that ankle. Well, you know, uh, I think he wasn't 100%. Obviously, there's a difference between playing and being 100%, and he was borderline to play, and so uh, he did make it, but uh, clearly at this point not 100%. But next week should be better. But uh, like I said, if you have a, clearly if you have a choice this last first two weeks between uh, Joe Mixon and Dalvin Cook, Cook, we know which one you should pick, right? Uh, yes, I would say so. Dalvin Cook, boy, that guy is special. And Dr. Chow, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it, and we hope to speak to you next week. Yep, and I mentioned Dalvin Cook because, as we talked about earlier, right. that was my sleeper. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's going to have a good year. Everyone forgot about him with his uh, ACL and then hamstring last year, but he was my sleeper uh, up-and-comer pick this year. I'm sure he's cutting, he's planting pretty hard on that leg and, and making those cuts, and, and uh, I'm sure his doctors are proud, right? Oh, yeah, very proud. There you go. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, Will Brinson from the Pick 6 Podcast, one of our NFL writers on CBSSports.com. He is here to talk about the fantasy impact of the injuries to Breeze and Roethlisberger. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Well, we heard from Dr. Chow about some key injuries. Let's get the fantasy spin now. 
with Will Branson. What's up, Will? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm excited. Sorry. Those are, those are the top, Azer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, are you excited about uh, iTunes mailbags? I, I, they're my favorite things in the entire world. I love iTunes mailbags. I Good. really do. Like, because our listeners of the Pick Six podcast ask us bizarre questions, like, who would, um, you know, who would, who would, who would survive if you were all thrown onto a desert island in a uh, in a Hunger Games style situation? And of course, the answer is not me. Oh, it wouldn't be me either if I got that question for this podcast. Not a chance. Well, uh, anyway, who, who, actually, who would survive? Would it be you? Between you, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Yeah, it wouldn't be me and it wouldn't be Jamie. I would give it to Heat. Yeah, I, I would too. Yeah. He's think, a beard. Think, yeah. yeah. It just shows toughness. Um, all right, so. Dave would snack on you. Oh, and then Heath, Heath would sneak up behind him and like cut his throat with a like a, uh, a bamboo, uh, a hastily fashioned bamboo knife. Well, if you have any fantasy questions, you can ask them in iTunes. What you're going to do is you're going to leave us a beautiful five-star review and uh, help us out, help us grow our show. We'd really appreciate it. And ask us a question, and we will read them uh, throughout the week, but mostly on our Saturday mailbag. The Saturday mailbag should be starter sit only, and it should not include any Thursday questions. So if you ask us a question for Saturday's mailbag, you know, make sure you meet those criteria. And I got one more thing to remote, but I'll do that later. <clears throat> Your reaction to Ben Roethlisberger being out for the season with the elbow injury. Before the show started, you and I went through the game logs, and we looked at Antonio Brown in five games over the last few seasons without Ben Roethlisberger. He had two 100-yard games. He had no touchdowns. But the first three games he played, he had less than 50 yards. So obviously this doesn't affect Antonio Brown, but it, it's it's a juju point. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it sucks. I didn't realize yesterday, his juju actually put up decent numbers with Rudolph in the second half, but a lot of them came on a flea flicker, and I did not realize that. So um, I guess if I'm drafting today, I think juju's like a third-round pick, and I'm, I need to be even nervous about that. All right, so I said on Fantasy Football Today on, on the video version with Jamie Eisenberg, uh, and he put out a poll about this. I would, right now, if I were the owner of Todd Gurley, I would go to the Juju owner or and I, or the Michael Thomas owner with the Breeze injury that we'll talk about, and I would offer them Todd Gurley for one of those guys, and I think they'd probably say yes because they're paranoid that the quarterback drop-off is going to be a problem for the receivers, and of course it is. Like, Juju's not going to end up with he's not going to end up leading the league in targets now I think that's highly unlikely I think the Steelers will uh I don't think the Steelers are dead I mean look Mason Rudolph is a high pick he was a he was a top prospect he was Chris Trapasso's number one quarterback in his draft class uh I, I think the problem the bigger problem Adam for Juju is that I don't think you're going to see Mason Rudolph lock into one receiver like a Juju or like an Antonio Brown that, that Ben would always do I think the guys who are more likely to benefit from Mason Rudolph coming in and as a result hurting the value of Juju Smith-Schuster are Vance McDonald, who saw seven targets with two touchdown catches from Mason Rudolph uh, on Sunday in, in week two in, in relief uh, against the, the Seahawks. I think that says a lot. Young quarterbacks like to lean on tight ends. I would not be surprised at all if Vance McDonald is a viable uh, you know, lower end number one tight end. Until where they have Mark Andrews or any of the bigger names, but I think McDonald's value could still be very good. And I think James Washington is a guy that you need to pick up because Dante Moncrief's been terrible. And James Washington played college football with Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State. He's not someone you need to pick up. You are not looking at a good offense anymore. I, 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 I mean, in a deeper league, maybe, but I, I disagree. You I don't, don't think, think this is a code red? Like I'm making too much of it. You think because to me, trading Todd Gurley for Juju Smith-Schuster is is ludicrous. I would exactly, not. Do, exactly. Yeah. You would do the trade. If I called you and was like, here's Gurley, do you, what, do you have Juju? Oh, of you course. Take Juju off my hands. Of exactly. course. Now, look, 
I, I'm not doing that if I'm like, I'm, I mean, well, I, I'm doing it because I believe in it, but I understand if somebody is 2-0 and and has a good receiver group, like, or if I have Stephon Diggs and I'm pet- petrified about the Vikings, I'm trying to fashion some package where I can get Juju back or Thomas back because the owner's freaking out. Um, if I'm, specifically if I'm 0-2 or even 1-1 and I don't think my team's that good, I want to go buy low on Juju. But, I, but how still- is Todd Gurley buying low? Because Todd Gurley got one goal line. Why are they going to keep feeding Todd Gurley? They gave him 19 touches. Why? Why on earth would you trade? He's not, like, not going to get above 20. I touches. could understand, you know, trading David Montgomery for Juju Smith-Schuster if you wanted to do that. And even that, like, I'm I'm very nervous, so I'm not going to give up anything of value right now. But I'm going to be, I think, the most panicky about Juju Smith-Schuster at this point. I could just see it going really poorly. Um, but I don't think Todd Gurley is a buy low. I think Todd, I, I think that's giving up too much for Juju. And the fact that you kind of agree that just about any Smith Schuster owner would make that trade means yeah. that Todd Gurley is, is too much to give up. Like you got, you should go lower because you don't go have lower. to give that up. I'm just telling you where I value them. I like, I would, if we were doing a draft today, I would still take Juju above Todd Gurley and I would yeah, still take Michael me. Thomas above Todd Gurley. That's fine. You don't have to agree with it. That's just how I feel. I don't, I, I, I'm more I, confident. I'm more confident in, in Michael Thomas. I'm more confident in Teddy Bridgewater and, and the fact that Drew Brees could miss only six games, six weeks or so. Mason Rudolph is a, is a guy who can go vertical, man. I'm telling you, this offense is not dead. I'm not saying it's going to come out. They're going to light up the world of fire. I'm going to hammer the Steelers plus seven if they get to that again in San Francisco next week. I think they'll have a nice game. I think Mason Rudolph will play well. I think we'll be surprised at the value of these targets. Um, and again, like I, I'm not saying you got to jump all over James Washington, but if people are dropping him in your league, grab him. He's going to replace Dante Moncrief. Moncrief sucks. All right. So, I mean, you see the difference in opinion that, that Will and I have on the situations. Um, what do you think about uh, Kamara? Connor, let's let's go to the Saints. We have a Tuesday show. We'll talk so much about it with uh, with Dave and Jamie. But with Breeze out six ish weeks, uh, maybe more. What do you think of the Saints? But, I mean, their offense is not as good. Obviously, um, I actually think the guy who sees a bump here is Latavius Murray. I think they're going to try and sort of you know when you look at what their schedule is, right? They get the Seahawks on the road in in week three. Tough matchup. Cowboys in week four, tough matchup. Buccaneers in week five, that could turn into a shootout. Jaguars, Bears in week six and seven. I think you're looking at four of the next five weeks. The Saints are going to try and minimize opportunities for the other team to to score, play great defense. They played great defense against the Rams on Sunday. I mean, if, they, if that if the refs don't bleep up the – uh, the Cameron Jordan touchdown, it's 10 to three saints at halftime. And I think that they might be able to squeak out a win. I, I just think they're not going to try and air it out with Teddy Bridgewater. Jared Dubin pointed out in the pick six podcast on Monday, he would not be surprised at all if they maybe started to incorporate some read option stuff with Teddy Bridgewater, which could help Alvin Kamara in terms of the, the run game. I would downgrade him a little bit. Cause I, I think they're going to be more of a ground and pound team bump up Latavius Murray, bump down Michael Thomas a little bit. And then I, I probably, would say that the rest of the guys, uh, you know, Jared Cook takes a tumble down the tight end rankings. Oh, yeah. I just, I just think the rest of those guys are going to be not unusable or anything like that, but you're not going to be starting fringe Saints guys um, on your on your team as, as flex, flex position guys like a Traquan Smith or anything like that, hoping that they have big weeks. I just don't see those coming. Teddy Bridgewater, even when, we, when he was taking the Vikings to the playoffs, was really sort of a – uh, high floor, low ceiling game manager type. And I would expect we see the same from him, even in the Sean Payton offense. So uh, we got a couple minutes left for Will here. What else is on your mind? You were all about Dak Prescott a week ago. That that looked pretty good. I think it's going to look good again in week three against the Dolphins. Who did I say I would take Dak Prescott over? Aaron Rodgers or like something insane? And Lamar Jackson. I feel, I, I still think those two guys, I mean, I, I don't know that you can't buy low on them. I think you did say Aaron Rodgers, didn't you? 
I did. I said I'd take Lamar over Aaron Rodgers. I still feel confident saying, like, would you trade Aaron Rodgers for Lamar Jackson right now? I'd rather have Aaron Rodgers. Okay. I mean, but, but, I, but I have been trying to get this out of the other guys, and they won't go there. I do feel like there's a chance Lamar Jackson is transcendent this year and a complete fantasy winner. He's uh, Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's the first quarterback to ever pass for 250 yards and rush for 120. Like, that's a... That's a league winner if you have Lamar Jackson on your team. Uh, I will say this about Aaron Rodgers. His next three weeks, Broncos at home, Eagles at home. Eagles defense is, is dinged up. I think if you're going to buy low on Aaron Rodgers, do it after week three and they play the Broncos, who have a good defense. They're going to be at home. Vic Fangio knows how to play Aaron Rodgers. They're going to be desperate. If he doesn't have a big game next week, his owner is going to be panicking. And mm-hmm. you could probably get him for... 50 cents on the dollar. And then he has Eagles, Cowboys, Lions, Raiders, Chiefs, Chargers, Panthers. That's a nice run. I think we could see uh, Aaron Rodgers get comfortable in that offense and really rip off some games uh, heading into heading into his week 11 by the only word of caution. If you are trading for Aaron Rodgers playoff matchups, I know it's early bears and Vikings. Yeah. And at Minnesota too, he doesn't have a great history there. Uh, at least since Mike Zimmer came to town. All right, Will, thank you for your time, my friend. Always fun, Adam. I will talk to you next week. All right. Before we talk to Chris Towers, I want to talk to you about Lightstream. Lightstream.com slash FFT. It's a fact. Refinancing your credit card balances can lower your interest rate and save you money, and you don't have to be a financial expert to do it. You just got to use Lightstream, okay? This is a credit card consolidation loan from our friends at Lightstream with a rate as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay. 5.95%. The average credit card interest rate is over 19% APR, so you could save thousands of dollars in interest, and you can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are no fees, no application fees, origination fees, no transaction fees, no prepayment penalties, and you can get your money as soon as the day you apply. It's very easy to do online. Just go to lightstream.com slash FFT. You're already getting that great rate. But our listeners can get a special interest rate discount at lightstream.com slash FFT. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash FFT. This is subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash FFT for more information. All right, everybody, get your calculators out. We are crunching. <laughs> we are crunching numbers with Chris Towers. What's up, Chris? I'm a little jealous that Heath gets "The Heat Is On," which is a much better song, much more recognizable, much better a driving beat, and, and I get a kind of boring song Come that on, like clap maybe two percent of the audience might recognize. Yeah. Well, this is from Revenge of the Nerds, in case you missed Monday's show. Uh, last Monday's show. And Chris is here to talk numbers, all right? Give us some, some fun snap counts and some cool advanced stats, if, if they're advanced. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what an advanced stat is in football. It's not like they make It's not like BABIP. But, um, Chris, give me a quarterback stat that is really interesting to you. Well, I think we should probably start with... It's not an advanced stat. It's just what Teddy Bridgewater and Mason Rudolph have done in their careers. Now, I told, what did uh, I tell you not to talk about these two? And you went there anyway? 
You said not to talk about Drew Brees. Oh, I I guess I didn't include Roethlisberger. That's true. That's fine, true. fine. We won't talk about it. Uh, you know, give me give me because they're gonna be so. We already did it with Will, and we'll do it tomorrow. Give me a, like a different quarterback. Dak Prescott. We there talked about this a little bit last week, but the trend continued. Last season, the Cowboys did not run a particularly high amount of play action. Uh, twenty five point twenty four point nine percent of Dak Prescott's pass attempts were play action passes. This season, it's 43.1%, the highest in the NFL. And he is 25 of 27 with four touchdowns on play-action passes. And it makes sense. This is a team that runs the ball incredibly well. They run block incredibly well. Take advantage of that. If you believe that the running game is so valuable, and the Cowboys clearly do, the fact that they weren't using that to their advantage to create more high-efficiency passing opportunities was crazy, and Dak Prescott has been just unbelievably good. I love what we're seeing from this offense. It's a little worrying that uh, Michael Gallup is going to be out for two to four weeks with a knee injury, but you know, beyond that, what we've seen from Dak Prescott this season is really incredibly encouraging. Yeah, I mean, they are rolling right now. They've had two very favorable opponents, the Giants and the Redskins. One thing I'm trying to look up here on the fly is well, the time of so- possession. They'll probably struggle in yeah, week three because yeah. that run of favorable opponents comes to an end. <laughs> right, exactly. No, the Dolphins are, uh, I think, whatever you normally expect from a player, should you probably like multiply it by two when they play the Dolphins? Well, tell that to Julian Edelman and Josh Gordon, right? But yes, I mean, it's, sure. it's as good as it gets. I'm just looking at time of possession. I know the Ravens are going to be number one. Uh, the Cowboys are fifth, 32 minutes and 50 seconds so far through two games. Ravens, Patriots, Lions, Eagles, Cowboys, top five in time of possession. Uh, all right, there. Are, let's do some snap count stuff with the running backs here. And this one that I wanted to point out, it's at the top of your list of the, of the maybe the most interesting ones, the Niners running backs and their snaps. And Mostert had 34, Breida had 21, and Wilson had 15. I just want to kind of make sure we're not sounding the alarm, in my opinion, because I went, I just looked at the game log before we did the show. And Mostert had 10 of his 13 carries in the second half. Wilson mm-hmm. got almost all of his work. He got seven of his 10 carries in the fourth quarter. And he got one other carry in the last carry of the third quarter. So he was basically the garbage time guy. And it was a blowout pretty early in the second half. Breida got seven of his 12 carries in the first half. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the snap counts there and see Breida 13 fewer than Mostert and say the score did have a lot to do with it. And Mostert was involved early. But Brita was, in my opinion, the number one guy. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Or would you like to talk about the 49ers? Yeah, I think the one thing that you can take away from that situation is we saw this with Matt Brita last season. Every time it looked like he was going to get an opportunity. I mean, he left this game for a few, uh, I think at least for a drive, because they were checking him, I believe, for a concussion in the first or second quarter. And it just felt like what we saw last season, which was every time he got an opportunity, he did really well. But there was always something that came up. And maybe they're just trying to be proactive about avoiding that so that, you know, they're not trying to give Matt Breida this workhorse load and then he breaks down. So maybe they're going to split the work. But like you said, I think Breida's the the back to own there for as long as Tevin Coleman's out. Tell me about Austin Eckler and the snaps. He played about 73% of the snaps this week. He played most of the snaps, or the majority of the snaps last week. He's pretty clearly the number one. I think what we're seeing is... Eckler is kind of getting the Melvin Gordon workload and Justin Jackson's getting a little bit more of an Austin Eckler workload from 2018, obviously not coming in the same way because Eckler was 
heavily involved in the passing game last season, but he's getting a lot of really high value snaps. And I don't know, Austin Eckler might just be a top 10 running back until if Melvin Gordon comes back, if they even, you know, what are they going to do when Melvin Gordon comes back? That's such a, that's such an interesting question because they're kind of seeing that they don't really need him right now. I think Eckler's got the most interesting trade value in fantasy football. Sure. You know, because you have a must-start guy until Gordon's back. When you And whoever you trade him to is almost certainly going to know that. The question is, when Gordon does come back, do you still have a can-start guy? Because you, you, you I did, think so. You did last year for a while, but I thought it was kind of fluky. I just didn't think he had enough touches. And my opinion is... No, my, my opinion is not really. I don't think you're going to want to start Eckler when Gordon gets back. I think he's going to be in the 12-touch range, and I just don't think that's going to be enough, you know, unless he's getting goal line work, which I can almost guarantee he won't be. Yeah, he won't get goal line work. The one thing, that, another thing that I do want to point out about this is, um, you know, Ben Gretsch, member of the podcast, uh, came up before the season with this concept of high-value touches, which was basically... Uh, catches and touches inside of the 10-yard line. Mm -hmm. And this is basically, I think, like something like 75% of all fantasy production comes on catches or touches inside of the 10. Austin Eckler had nine high-value touches in week two. That was, I believe, the highest number so far, and he had eight in week one. He is getting just incredibly efficient work along with the fact that he's been the number one running back. He fumbled at the goal line. They gave him work right after that. But he did fumble sign. at the goal line, and he also fumbled near the goal line, I'm pretty sure, in the preseason. I know he fumbled. I think it was inside the five. Yeah. So it's something to keep in mind, but right now it looks great for Eckler. And what can you tell us about the Bears running backs? So David Montgomery kind of switched roles with Mike Davis. And in week one, Mike Davis was the guy who got the majority of the snaps. He had five high-value touches in week one. David Montgomery only had one. In, in week two, David Montgomery had six high-value touches, obviously got that. Uh, I think it was a four-yard touchdown run. Um, that's what we wanted to see. I haven't. I think you and I were kind of on the same page with David Montgomery as a prospect. Didn't think he was all that impressive. Tons of broken tackles in college, but kind of mediocre college production, under five yards per carry, yep, mediocre athletic profile, but seemed like a guy that scouts really liked because he did make a lot of plays. So far, he only has three broken tackles on 26 touches. That was like the stat that everyone threw out there with David Montgomery as a prospect. 185 broken tackles on 573 snaps the last two years in college. That was number one. Among all running backs in the NCAA, I believe Devin Singletary was number two, but he's only had three on 26 touches. He just, I don't know. <laughs> the way everyone was talking about the Bears offense after week one, it was like, David Montgomery just needs to be in there and it'll fix everything. And I think that was a bit of wishful thinking because we want David Montgomery to be the guy that gets the goal line touches in the passing game work because we want him to be fantasy viable. But what we've seen so far does not, to me, suggest that he's this incredibly dynamic playmaker. I Yeah, I did feel that way just you know, watching some college highlights, looking at the numbers, it is rare. His yards per carry was bad. His 40-yard dash time was was pretty high for somebody that was yeah. getting all this hype. But then when I saw him in the preseason, I heard that, you know, he's such a great route runner. I definitely came around. I don't know if I came too far around, but I, I was pro David Montgomery. But just 
Oh, we could talk about the broken tackle and all that stuff, but the fact that he had 18 carries sure. and Cohen and Davis combined for seven, that's really all I care about. Not all I care about, but that's mostly what I care about. I kept saying that David Montgomery's time was coming. I did not think it was going to be in week two, but I don't, I, like, I don't see how you turn back now. Like, he's going to be their lead running back. I would assume so. I just I have questions about how good he's going to be. Fair. Maybe I'm no, in the minority fair. on that one. Uh among NFL people and, and fantasy people, it seems like everybody's really excited about him. I, I think there's a better chance he's just a guy. Let's see. Let's do one more. Like, here. I don't quite understand that why Devin Singletary didn't get nearly as much excitement as David Montgomery. I don't either. I don't either. And I really like they Singletary. They were picked one, one spot apart. <laughs> I'm excited for Singletary going forward. I think the rookie running backs could be good. Um, we'll talk about Miles Sanders on tomorrow's show. But let's talk about Marquise Brown. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you have to say about Marquise Brown? So the Baltimore Ravens uh, passed the ball 37 times. Yeah, 37 times yesterday, right? That's the number. And Marquise Brown ran 37 uh, routes. So he was basically out there. Obviously, he was the number one uh, wide receiver for Baltimore in week one. But he only ran eight routes in week one on their 20-something pass attempts. Um there's no question that this guy's their number one. He had 13 targets, I believe. Um, he looks electric. He has been incredibly impressive so far. And, you know, Lamar Jackson taking this uh, apparent leap. We'll see if it's actually a leap. It's only two games. It's still early. But he went from an incredible athlete who was developing as a passer to what we've seen so far, and especially yesterday, actually looks like a legitimate NFL passer. Like, it's hard to fake at least being average when you've looked this good for two weeks. I'm pretty shocked at how, how good he has looked passing the ball. I'm shocked. And I know... I'm a true believer. So I knew this was coming. <laughs> you know, you've always been very pro Lamar Jackson. I can't believe what he's doing. And it's awesome. And yeah, he threw 37 passes in week two. He threw 20 in week one. Mm-hmm. So good stuff from Marquise Brown. Good stuff from Chris Towers. Thanks, man. Thank you. I need to promote one more thing because it's your chance to win. Are you ready, Chris? How much are you going to win? $1 million. $1 million. Good job with our parlay game on CBSSports.com. Parlay pick them. You want to win a $1 million. So you download the CBS Sports app or go to CBSSports.com slash parlay, P-A-R-L-A-Y. Submit your parlay card. And once you're done, you're immediately in contention for big-time cash prizes, including the chance at $1 million if you hit the perfect parlay. And you don't have to hit it big to get a big payday. You're going to earn points for every correct parlay with $10,000 on the line for the season champ. You can even start a buddy group by inviting friends to the competition for more action. So go to cbssports.com slash parlay or download the CBS Sports app. Take your shot at a million bucks. Goodbye, Chris. Bye, Adam. Thanks to Will Brinson and Dr. David Chow. Thanks to all of you for listening. Tuesday Waiver Wire when we talk to you next. Docu-series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.